What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Coming to you from all sides of the earth. Does the sphere have only one side? It's a question for Matt. Yeah, technically it only has one side. Okay. Um, unless, well, you're then, counting, unless you're counting the inside as well. Oh, um, could be. But um, we'll get angry letters from topologists now. So. Topologists. Topologists. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good because they live on top. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, shout out to our listeners on the inside. Um, but uh, we'll get to that in a moment. That's just a tease of our mailbag and the exciting if that we're going to have this week. Uh, I am Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker and uh, lapsed scientist. Uh, but uh, uh, what do we call it? Fan. Ever lifelong fan of science. Can you be a fan? You can be a fan of science. Oh, of sure. Course. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Absolutely. Uh, even though fanaticism is not something I think science would condone. They want you to be rational. Uh, well, maybe. Yeah. 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 Depends yeah. what you're being. I can scientifically question. prove the reason I like science. Anyway, before we go too far down, this is why I got out of science. I can't do any, can't, can't prove anything. <laughs> I have no evidence. Um, on the screen uh, is, uh, our, is one of our esteemed co-hosts who, um, it's little known fact because it's an audio-only program, but every time uh, this co-host appears on video, which is how we record our show so we can see each other, uh, they have a different name. And so I introduce now that last bit of ketchup in the bottle. How are you? Oh, that's me, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, I guess I'm, I'm stuck at the, the bottom of some squishy plastic. Um, people are trying to get to me, um, but I'm being uncooperative. See, this is the wonderful thing about audio-only programming. We can run with such things. Like <laughs> I think that's really wonderful. That, that is Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University. Uh, and um, how are you, sir? Uh, acceptable, I think. I'm glad it's Friday. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, it's Friday morning. It's Friday morning. And uh, also with us uh, from the uh, hallowed halls of... Uh, I was going to say Hogwarts, Rockefeller University, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gabby Panicia, who is uh, so close to being a PhD, she can smell it. Is that correct? And taste it. Yeah. Yeah. Smell, maybe smell a little bit. Yeah. That's mostly me sitting in one space, festering, I think. <laughs> uh, but I, I would like to think there's a taste of sweet victory ahead. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and our listeners should appreciate, as I do, and I know Matt does, that you are, you are really in the heat of finishing your PhD thesis, and you, you still take, take out time to what the if with us. Yeah, we are appreciative. I mean, that said, I kind, of, I kind of do need it, though, because there's something about sitting in a room for basically five days a week and not going outside where you kind of need <laughs> yeah. touchstones to remind yourself like how normal people behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like I literally spent two straight weeks working on my thesis and like did not really go and talk to anybody. And then the first day that I like went out and interacted with another human being, 
like the number of like loading screen moments I had where I had to like process <laughs> human interaction again and like I have my script for how to get through like basic interactions and just completely lapsed yeah. like worse than the pandemic by far because all I have is like me staring at my computer slowly losing my mind um and I just I, yeah so this is great I get to remember how to be a normal human being and talk about science that's not mine Fantastic. 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 Although I, I, I warn our listeners, don't confuse us with normal human beings, I think. Uh, yeah, we may not be the best points of reference for that. Definitely yeah. awry. Um, so uh, uh, I want to jump in real quick. Uh, to, we, have, we have a letter from our mailbag. Welcome to the mailbag! Lars writes in from Sweden. Uh, many of you may remember, I believe we, we ran with uh, one of Lars's uh, ifs uh, last week. Uh, very recently, and um, I was uh, confused. He, he had written us a lovely note, as he, as he often does, um, and uh, he included the word uh, I wasn't jewel, J-U-L-E, and uh, we weren't sure exactly what that was. And uh, so Lars writes in and he says, "Some uh, hello, fellow thinkwanots, which is how he refers to us. We appreciate that, thinkwanots. Some curiosa for you about last week's letter, he says. Um, and he explains... Um, Yule, or Yule, is the old name and holiday uh, by northern tribes of Europe. Uh, they celebrate the return of the sun in the midwinter solstice uh, when spring and warmth is about. This occurred not on the 24th of December, but on the 21st. Some say in the middle of January. So I celebrate both days. Have oh, you heard of that, Matt? Smart. Yeah. Uh, Yule? Yeah, well, it's, uh, okay. so that's the, the winter solstice that he's referring to there. Right, um, right. When it officially turns over. Um, yeah, I mean, we still have some echoes of that in uh, ordinary English, like the Yule log. Right? Yes, yes, yes. And, things, yeah. and I can certainly imagine that in Sweden, you know, the return, the, the presence or absence of the sun is in, is of, of importance. Yeah, you really appreciate it when yeah. um, you have so little light. And uh, he, he continues, the event lasted 12 days. These days were filled with sacred sacrifice of animals, and in some cases, humans. Ooh, oh, dear. Even in Sweden. Uh, to bring good fortune to the spring or fall and uh, fall crops. They also consumed mead, lots and lots of mead, and then more mead. <laughs> I've been to that Renaissance Fair, actually. It's pretty fun. It's just nonstop mead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of mead. And uh, what, what do they call the turkey leg? Or is me No, no, mead is the drink. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, mutton. <laughs> is that what they call the turkey leg? Yeah, mutton is uh, good stuff. Well, mutton, mutton is, is cheap. cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we appreciate... Uh, uh, Lars for uh, exp explaining this. And by the way, he finishes by saying, Odin also flew in the sky with the help of his wolves, Freak and Gear, I'm probably pronouncing those terribly, but uh, to scare away evil forces that were lurking in the winter darkness, okay, he uses wolves, but Santa uses reindeers. So Odin sounding a bit more badass. Uh, Odin's pretty badass, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, ripped out his own eyes, so he could... Wow. Um, yeah see the future that's pretty awesome yeah yeah he also stabbed and hung himself at the same time <laughs> which is not easy let me tell you yeah no i would imagine there's some logistical difficulties <laughs> he also he had made a comment about finnish saunas and we weren't sure what he was referring to there and so he finishes up by adding uh, a finnish sauna heats up really quick to an unbearable temperature <laughs> that so. does sound good 
and he says, I hope the following, um, I hope this mail brings you much joy. And it has Lars, and he signs it Space Viking. Fantastic. Also, from the mailbag, my control over the music today is of, uh, it's not very good. The music has a mind of its own. Um, Ori Kirk writes in, uh, Ori, uh, back in July, Ori wrote to us um, with an if that we ran with, uh, and that if was what the if human level intelligence and tool making had evolved in the oceans instead of on land, and we had run with that. And so, um, uh, also, by the way, it, he had written back then, uh, you guys do an excellent, exceptional job, makes for great listening at work, and he is a CAD designer. Computer-aided design, yeah. It is too distracting while writing my thesis for undergrad. Uh, last term, hey. he was then he was then in his last term of mechanical engineering. Um, Ori, if you finish, congratulations. Uh, and he was wishing us all the best from Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. And I was not sure back then in July how to pronounce that. Um, so uh, Ori writes in again, Hi all, thank you for doing my last if. I really like the direction you took with it. Uh, quick, quick correction on the name of the town. And by the way, we're going from Sweden all the way to the other side of Earth. That is a lot. Um, quick correction on the name of the town he's from. Uh, Bundaberg is pronounced uh, und as in fund. Oh, sorry, und as in fund. Daberg. Bundaberg. Uh, as opposed to Bundaberg, which is, I think, how I'd said it. Don't, he doesn't think it's Germanic, possibly Aboriginal. We should try his rum, though. There's a Bundaberg oh, rum. Yeah. rum, rum. Uh, here's an if. He, he had provided two ifs, and here's the one we're going to run with today. This is a very good one. I'll just read this, and then we'll, we'll set a little context, and then we'll, we'll announce the fanfare that will begin the thought experiment for this week, which is why you're all here. And so Ori writes, um, this uh, idea takes an inspiration from a game but he hasn't personally played it. And uh, Ori, let us know what game this is, because we, we couldn't find it. Uh, but here's the exciting scenario. What would happen if humans had to get reseeded onto our planet after different time frames, assume a complete extinction event for our species prior to reseeding, say 100 years, 1,000 years, and 10,000 years? Each jump up would mean less remnants of the past would exist to be discoverable. Fascinating. Kind regards, Ori. Oh, pronounced Ori. Ori, yeah. Bundaberg, mm -hmm. Queensland, Australia. Thank you. So uh, uh, that is the uh, suggestion for today. So, uh, Gabby, could you help us understand now why uh, should people should now don their safety gear before we begin the uh, thought experiment? Yeah, so uh, because this thought experiment intrinsically requires uh, all of humanity to go extinct <laughs> at least once, perhaps multiple times, uh, every time we sort of uh, tweak the universe in this way, uh, things, of course, get hairy and potentially hazardous. Uh, so if you have any on hand, you should probably don your personal protective equipment or PPE to make sure you get through the ensuing extinctions alongside us to watch what's going on. Indeed, indeed. Good advice. And so, um, let's see now, when I ask what the if, yeah, I think I got it. I have to I have to think of the precise wording, you know, again, just like thinking of Hogwarts again, the uh, beginning of an if is kind of like an incantation. And we ask, what the if? 
humanity went extinct. And then there was a gap. And somehow humanity started again. We'll have to think about that already. Already there's a puzzle. But the question will be, how do we reseed the Earth? I'm not sure I'm even comfortable with that wording. I'll have to think about mm-hmm. that. Creepy. What the If, sent to us by Ori from uh, Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. Matt, can you um, help us get started? As a, as a scientist, so tell us, for those who are new, what, what exactly is a thought experiment, and how would a scientist approach this as opposed to a video game player? Uh, well, I don't know if it would be so different, actually. So mm-hmm. with a, a thought experiment, so a regular experiment, like what Gabby spends her time doing, um, you actually go and do stuff with your hands and with the physical world. Um, uh, you mix mysterious colored chemicals together and see what you get out of it. Um, and uh, hopefully you just, you find something new and possibly unexpected in the process of that. Um Thought experiments are where you try to do the same thing, but in your head. Um, And so what you have to do there is be rigorous about uh, being, you want to be careful about uh, exactly what the rules and situation you're putting out there. And then you think through those consequences as closely as possible. Um, and sometimes you discover something unexpected there too. Sometimes there's there's things lurking in your assumptions and your ideas that you didn't realize until you actually think it through. Indeed, indeed. I must say, one of the most uh, uh, impressive abilities I believe of the human brain is the ability to uh, role play scenarios. <laughs> you know, like you can set up a thing and then see things. So, um, uh, so we're imagining the uh, the human population is wiped out for whatever reason. And then it starts again. Now, my guess is there would have to be, it couldn't have been completely wiped out, right? Because it wouldn't start, if the odds of a human life rising again is practically nil. All right, I mean, yeah, it could so be I a think, different creature. That's right. So I think reseeding implies some kind of external force. So I'm thinking aliens. Oh, oh right. okay. Or, or could there be, could there have been like a vault? Where they oh, yeah, we could do a vault, too. Genetic yeah. material. That, that could, could work, be. Right? Yeah, Gabby, what are you thinking? Yes, so I think there's a couple of different ways we can do this. Either there's some kind of, like, cryo vault somewhere that is totally untouched and that those people also have really no... Like, there's a vault of clones or something. People mm, that have mm, no mm, prior mm. knowledge of what the world is like. Right. There right. is either some alien presence that is seeding humanity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, some people think that, like, We've talked about the panspermia thing, that like life on Earth being seeded by, you know, life somewhere else. Some people do think, you know, in the conspiracy theory insanity sphere that like, oh, maybe aliens made humanity and then dropped humanity on Earth. And that's where we come from. There's quite literally no evidence for that. It's pretty much garbage, <laughs> hot garbage. Hot garbage. Um, but in this scenario, if we want to do something fun like that, we can do it. Or we do an alternative one, which is humanity has mostly left Earth. So, for example, for mm. some reason, Earth became uninhabitable, mm. uninhabitable, or people on Earth went extinct, and you know, colonies elsewhere were able to send people uh, to Earth. And I think that yeah. that okay, yeah, those are all good ones. Mm-hmm. That's either interesting one way. gives us either one works different ways. Yeah, I feel like what the one the one sort of one of the parameters that Ori set up that he wanted was uh, there is a benefit to uh, or harm, I suppose, but to uh, whoever the new generation is, there's a benefit to them 
in other words, the big thing about the different time frames about how long it has been since er, since humans went extinct determines how much of human civilization, any relics of human civilization, remain. Right. Yeah. Because we're we're and assuming th- they're starting fresh, right? Without. Yeah. Yes. And I think each situation does kind of change how fresh humanity's starting, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're just a bunch of clones in a vault who know nothing about anything and wander outside one day to a completely ruined Earth, they know nothing. I assume similarly, if aliens are also just popping human beings back down on Earth to say, do whatever you're going to do here, good luck, that's also a no, we don't know anything scenario. Right. I assume if human beings are sending human beings back to Earth for some reason, the human beings are going to know what's going on. Yeah, that would be nice. So we may have to go with a clone vault or alien scenario if we want to be, let's start from scratch, caveman, and figure out. Let's go. I feel like clo- to- I'm going to guess that clone vault was sort of more what Ari was imagining. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, yeah. And that might be the the Fallout games too. Yeah, and I was thinking of Fallout. Thinking of, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the question is, do you have a little video that plays when you wake up right. that explains <laughs> what happened to be doing. in the style of a 1950s uh, cigarette commercial. Um, and then you go punch roaches. <laughs> yeah, the next yeah, three levels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, all right. So uh, let's say they, it, let's say, I, I'm guessing frozen clones seems to be the thing to do, right? So let's say frozen clones wake up and let's go with the first scenario first, which is a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So a hundred years later, um, the uh, how how would that go? Would, would it be sort of like a in vitro? Not in vi- yeah, how could you? Uh, they would have to be already whole, oh. or, is, or 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 frozen embryos that somewhere there's a program that fully gestates them. That's what I was thinking. The time. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So currently, we can't freeze human beings. You can freeze cryogenically freeze like mice and rats. Oh, and thaw them back out. Oh, wow. but there's a size limit on cryogenic freezing, basically. And human beings are above that size limit. We don't we don't freeze well. Uh, we're too big. Um, <laughs> freeze well sounds like something that would be written in the cookbook for how to yeah, serve. Yeah, man. human beings do not freeze well. Please, please disassemble before. Don't bother saving leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. So you could have a bunch of frozen embryos that then, if you have some sort of, I'm assuming, secret underground robotic compound, etc. That then just, they're like, hey, there's no more humans left on Earth. And then they just, you know, gestate them and then punt them out the door uh, <laughs> yeah, the minute like- they're conscious or slightly before. So they don't even know this magical cloning facility, Freezy Vault, exists. Right. Uh, that would probably be what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it sounds right. right to me. Yeah. So 100 years, 100 years seems to be uh, kind of in the zone of Logan's Run. Did anyone see Logan's Run? Which is... I, a, a movie that I thought as a kid was amazing, and as an adult, yeah, it is not terrible. So <laughs> it's a little terrible. Yeah. It's a good concept. It's a good concept, um, and probably was better as a book. I think it started as a book. So anyway, but but one of the coolest things about Logan's Run was it was in that genre that we had kind of in the '70s and '80s of um, kind of future apo- or post-apocalyptic things. So where you mm-hmm. would see cities as ruins, right? So we get to see our modern cities. In the same way we see like ancient Rome now, so they go to watch in, right. in Logan's okay. Run. Spoiler: At some point, they somebody goes to Washington D.C. and you see like the Capitol oh, oh, and the monuments overgrown with vines and things like that. Um, so, a hundred years. What what do we see, Matt, when they uh, pop out of their? Uh, All right. So, hundred years. Um, 
everything organic has rotted, right? So there's mm. no food stockpiles. I guess I don't know. I, I would be surprised that even if canned or dehydrated food could last a hundred years. Uh, um, SpaghettiOs, SpaghettiOs, SpaghettiOs. Yeah, yeah, but nobody's going to want to eat those. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, all clothing that survives will be artificial fabrics. Like I think polyester will probably last oh. forever. Oh, so um, right. So so just regular cotton clothes will have disintegrated. Yes, right. Yeah, they'll all have have rotted away. Um, I was going to make the devil's advocate arm argument of like climate and storage oh. may have preserved. Some things. Mm, okay, that could be. But you would have to go looking for them. Yeah. So you may have a better chance recovering certain types of materials in areas that are dry uh, and, you know, you've stored it in a cool, dark place. Because we can get, you know, fabric bits off of mummies. Um, oh, well, that's that right. Much, yeah, so much we older. can, yeah, if we head for deserts and tundra, um, we might have some some good stuff there. There you go for that. Hmm. Um, so the Macy's in yeah. um, Cairo may have more available clothing than the Macy's in New York. Uh, that could be. Yep. Yeah. Go for that. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, animals. Um, uh, wildlife is, hasn't been constrained by human activity for a hundred years. Um, so even our, our cities and such may be full of, of wildlife. Um, Probably fewer rats because there's less um, uh, human garbage for them to to eat, mm. um, but more deer. And you know, I like to imagine that maybe the uh, you know the cows break out of the the ranching areas and yeah. uh, and breed wildly and and cover the the American Midwest again with with giant bovine um, herds. Um, that'd be a nice kind of image. Uh, let's see here. Buildings are going to survive. Um, mm -hmm. Skyscrapers and such require a lot of maintenance, so probably most big buildings have collapsed. So we're so we're going to get the mm -hmm. good vine covered um, uh, ruins if if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but well, I, I remember you know. seeing a documentary. I think uh, National Geographic or Discovery, one of those, uh, did a you know kind of documentary of Earth. What if Earth was uh, became uninhabited and, and then you went into the future. And they said the first thing that would attack the skyscrapers in modern buildings would be fire. Uh, you know, if any fire started in one mm. of those buildings, it would become uncontained. Mm -hmm. But that the steel structures, if they survived the fire, which they generally probably would, um, you would just have skeletons of skyscrapers everywhere. Oh, that would be nicely haunting. Yeah. 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 And bird, so there could be a lot of birds and eagles and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good fun. Um. Let's see here. Other functioning technology. Um, trying to think of what parts of the electrical system would still be there. Um, mm, mm. Yeah, none of the generators and stuff will still be functioning. Um, so would the clones, here's the thing, somehow the clones would still have brain, like what knowledge could the clones be given like I, we've we've done things like this, right? And didn't didn't mm -hmm. Feynman even talk about if you had to pass on what's the, what's the greatest amount of information you could pass oh, on? Oh well, yeah. So that's a good point. All right. So all right. So some libraries are still going to survive. Um, mm -hmm. Again, probably will. I guess we're going to Cairo. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. So if we get a good um, a good sized library, so if we are we going to let the clones know how to read? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, in other words, if if there's no one, there would have to be someone there to teach them, right? So maybe they. Well, it depends how aggressive the the vault system is. Um, uh-huh. Like Gabby said, they might just kick them out and and refuse to teach them anything. Right. Um, but if it is a Fallout style experiment, then maybe they would want to set them up with this. Well, this is a fascinating question, actually. Like the ability to read, um, you have. To, so let's say if if let's say a clone is born fresh, you know, has no no one else there. Um, they wouldn't automatically be able to read, right? No, they no. might not even have the concept. They couldn't even begin right. to read. They would. What kind of lesson could get them to start understanding reading? It would almost be like well, you the need kind to of, teach them language first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They'd have yeah. to have it as a concept. Yeah. 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 So let's not go down the Canticle for Liberates route, okay. of like the or like the foundation route of like foundation. knowledge preservation. We've done that before. I okay. say let's just say they don't know anything. Okay, that's right. a deal. So okay. that we are not preloading them with anything. They are getting kicked out of the proverbial Garden of Eden cloning facility. Yeah. Yeah. Butt nude into a <laughs> hundred year old forgotten Earth. Yeah. All right, so that so they might be living in the great library of Cairo, surrounded by books and all of the knowledge of the long gone civilization, um, and have no idea what it is. Right? They're That's using awesome. they're using the encyclopedia for a toilet paper. Um, right. uh, uh, so they're so, basically animals. You know. It's, well, I mean, yeah, proto humans at least. Right. Um, so, I mean, I I guess I mean I don't often say things like this. I have enough faith in humanity um, that <laughs> <laughs> that they would rec- they develop their own language and the concept of writing. Um, I suspect that would take long enough that maybe the library would no longer be useful to them um, <laughs> at that point. Uh, because I mean, learning how to read long gone languages without a Rosetta Stone type thing is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you'd need a certain amount of, um, I don't know, cultural infrastructure before that's possible. So I think even if there's material remnants of the previous civilization, I don't know how useful it's going to be for them. I I foresee them waking up and uh, the humans having left an AI a chatbot for them. But the problem is the chatbot just spews out mistakes constantly. You know, <laughs> and so <laughs> the knowledge they learn is completely uh, useless. Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. For me, I think most of the actual knowledge that's going to have to be accumulated from this is not like you know, it's not one of these things where oh, there's the remains of a car engine, so we can mm. learn how mm. to make a car again. I don't think that's really on the table. Mm-hmm. I think most of the early like advances are going to be in observations of things that are very like. I'm going to just say basic here, but that we probably don't even think about. Um, so it's stuff like they don't have to necessarily re-domesticate certain animals, right? Because in 100 uh, years, a cow is still going to be a cow. Pigs are they, the pigs are actually kind of funny. They get a little wild if you just like let them go. They, mm-hmm. they really revert. But it's still a domesticated pig. <laughs> so the ability to sort of gain livestock and to maybe make the jump to agriculture maybe a lot easier, especially too, since like same thing with crop plants, the domestication process for crop plants was insane. That took an extremely long amount of time in human history and specific regions developed very specific Mm -hmm. plants. So for example, potatoes, you know, did not exist in medieval Europe because they're from, I think it's Peru. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those were the result of like, you know, cross-cultural exchange. But now there are potatoes basically everywhere. 
which means that you have a much more readily available, heavily caloric uh, food source that probably is going to be now growing wild from people's gardens and stuff like that. So the availability of different types of food, if you happen upon some sort of overgrown farm area, mm -hmm. might actually really be a, a benefit that you don't have to redomesticate all these things. You get to just sort of use what we've had before and harvest what we have before and maybe redevelop agriculture easier. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess that a lot of our modern foodstuffs are the result of 10,000 years of careful cultivation and inbreeding and not having to do that work again is a, a big leg up. Um, and once they figure out agriculture, there are some uh, things that will have survived, like the the seed bank up in Svalbard in mm -hmm. Norway. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Right? Yeah. Um, it's designed for precisely this purpose, um, to survive without any maintenance or human intervention. So, um, uh, so our Nordic friends actually will get a huge leg up over the rest of the world um, because they'll have enormous um, biological resources there uh, that they can oh, work on. That's yeah. They'd be like super super beings. Um, now, the interesting thing is a huge part of this, I think, is the numbers, the numbers game. So let's, you know, it seems like in Ari's scenario that there's one clone vault, you know, and then so a small number of clones are reactivated or however many there are, but they're in kind of, I'm imagining in one space perhaps. Um, so they have to repopulate the entire planet, which would take I don't know <laughs> how long, like how quickly can the, can the population grow and how much land, basically they're, they're recapitulating as we say, they'd be re, they have to redo the uh, exodus from Africa. Right. So there's a, I'm assuming whoever is cloning all of these people will have set it up. So enough people are produced that it's not a genetic bottleneck. Ah. So, and there's essentially a phenomenon where if you have a small initial population that gets to a region, uh, it's their genetics that basically entirely create the genetics of the subsequent population. Uh, and that creates this like bottleneck where there's, you know, nothing new or more diverse coming in. Um, and I would imagine that they are probably not going to want that. You can either kind of limit that by maybe having a very diverse set of starter human beings, but at the same time, it's still only so many people. Um, so it might not be as few people as you think, uh, depending on how they maybe want, if they really want to avoid this. Mm -hmm. I also assume there's a certain amount of like, two two things. One, what is it? The largest human society, hunter-gatherer society can be what? Like 50 people or something like that? It's about the limit of like a oh, yeah, I don't know lobby. how formal the limit is, but um, it tends to be small groups. Yeah. yeah, so there's something about like, the maximum number of like sustainable human connections and people have done the math on this. Right. So that might be like a good initial population. Cause I think it's like around 50 people or something like that, where it's big enough that you can have some loss. If somebody gets eaten by a tiger and they realize, Hmm, we shouldn't go mess around with that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, big enough, uh, for genetic diversity and small enough that they can all still coordinate. So it might so not what be happens like 10 people. When you get, like, what happens if suddenly there's 100 people? What happens? It divides into two or? They start collapses? to split. I see. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't tend to collapse. It's just people tend to go different ways. Like, right. there, there's only so many people you can have, like, in a single friend group before it gets complicated and people start hanging out independently. Right. It's, it's that yeah. kind of thing where, yeah. and I think, I'll have to look this up because I know I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. Um, 
So an interesting question for the, uh, is, is sort of, there's a, a kind of a, an ancillary thought experiment here, which is what is it like if you had to set up this program? So how many, uh, if you're on a plan for it, how yeah. many clones mm-hmm. would you want in how many places on the planet to ensure survival? You know, um, yeah, I like that. So I like Gabby's point that if you make careful choices and you, you get the correct human starter pack from yeah. Costco, <laughs> yeah. um, that you could probably have some minimal amount. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, and that would be a fairly disturbing um, experiment to, to work out because you'd have to test who you want to keep in your... Um, yeah, well, maybe, that's where, maybe this, this video game that Ori's talking about may actually be a secret experiment. Mm-hmm. Being run by, you know, some one-world government or post-apocalyptic-minded uh, group. Um, so uh, let's jump to the thousand-year scenario. Yeah. So the clones wander out of their shelters. A thousand years now. Now you've got uh, you're, you're not coming into a pristine wilderness because what do you, what do you think a city looks like a thousand years later? Well, for instance, let's just say Rome. I always think of Rome. Right, mm-hmm. Greg, or sure. Athens, you know, it's several thousand years, more than several thousand mm-hmm. years. Right? Well, that depends. I mean, Rome collapses in fourth century or so. Um, right, but I'm, I just we can find mm-hmm. objects, I guess. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. So if you go to um, to Rome, um, there are still buildings standing from that time. Um, many of them have been restored. Um, mm-hmm. And the ones that have survived tend to be uh, large-scale stone construction, right? If you imagine, like, the Colosseum, right? Right. Um, that weathers pretty well. I don't think we build too many things like that these days. Or, um, interestingly, concrete, because the Pantheon, for instance. Well, okay, yeah, so maybe that's right. So what are our giant concrete structures that'll survive? Um, so that's what, old Soviet brutalist architecture? Um, yeah, yeah, or our own state, mm. our own coliseums, perhaps. Our coliseums, our our state universities tend to be awful. Ah, yeah. Construction. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. My uh, old dorm will be there until the end of time. <laughs> right. There may be no ceiling, but the walls are all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's pretty good, actually. That's a really good start. I can go for that. Yeah. Um, all right. So Boston, our thousand, Boston City Hall is there. Yeah, our yeah. thousand year survivors are inhabiting. Um, State University of New York, Binghamton. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the wildlife, um, yeah, have definitely got into a steady state by this point. I wonder if domestication mm. is totally gone by this point, though, in the sense of being easily tameable. And um, well, can people be domesticated? Maybe at this point, maybe that's what happens to the clones. They come out and they get domesticated by some creatures that have been wandering. Oh, you think it's a Planet of the Apes scenario? <laughs> well, yeah. so a thousand years is not enough time for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Right, yeah. Gabby? Yeah. Say the, the chimps yeah, aren't going to have a civilization. Really um, right. Yeah, biologically, that's a pretty short period of time. No Dr. Um, Zayas. But with, uh, without controlled breeding, I can imagine that, say, dogs are totally feral, right? Humans would yeah. have to start fresh with, uh, with taming them. Well, yeah, so there's a, a difference between, like, feral and domesticated. Feral mm. is a domesticated animal that has essentially been allowed to run wild. Mm. Um, mm. So, like, a feral pig. 
um, or like a, a, you can have a feral cow, but that cow will not necessarily become an aurochs again, the, the predecessor of cows. Aurochs. I don't know so, about aurochs. That's cool. Isn't, isn't that I my pronouncement? Right. Yeah, 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 awesome. yeah, yeah. They're just like, they're just big. Basically, imagine a cow just without the spots and just like like something closer to a water buffalo. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Think right. more like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're not going to get complete reversion. Like it's it's not going to be, you know, the same thing as like what human beings started with and what we ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what's going to happen is that over a thousand years, there's going to be slightly different selection than what we've gone for. So for example, all of our chickens that we've selected to be just like, you know, big fat little things are definitely not going to be advantageous in the wild Mm. because they're big, fat little things that can't run well and that everything's going to eat them. So there's going to be so much more selection for the chickens that are a little bit skinnier and a little (laughs) more more muscular and can run away from danger. Uh, So by a thousand years, you're probably going to have stuff that looks a little bit more like some of our heritage breeds that just like aren't like these big industrial put on meat as fast as possible kind of breeds of animal. Um, but I imagine you're not completely screwed as far as breeding them back. It's definitely going to take longer than the hundred year point. Um, and nobody's going to have a nice pet dog for you to, to figure out how to tame. Um, you're going to maybe have to do that sort of along the style of what we did with wolves, but you know, you're not working with a wolf. You're working with like a little pariah dog sort of thing, which is maybe about half the size. Um, so Things are going to look pretty different, but you might not be entirely as out of luck as you might think, at least on the animal front. All right. That's reassuring. That's cool. The one thing I was thinking of throughout this whole thing, because we we didn't really touch upon even in the hundred year mark of like what of human stuff they're going to be able to use. And the thing that I could think of as being very useful is the availability of surface metal. Ooh. So in previous essentially throughout human history, getting metal has been pretty hard. And smelting is extremely difficult. Forging tools is very, very difficult. And essentially all of blacksmithing has been, I mean, before modern times, has been very much a trial and error and building upon past successes. It is hard to make a forge if you're just in a primitive society. And one of the earliest ways in which it was hard is that it was hard to get metal. Uh, So iron, for example, there's not a lot of iron tools before a certain point because they were quite literally relying on iron and meteorites as the only sort of freely available surface iron. Um, So my bet is that even though smelting is going to take longer, you know, going to take a while to, to come about, the availability of some of these surface metals that now you can smelt down and and you know make something sharp with is going to be really really helpful. Uh, granted, it's going to be a little bit weird, right? Because you know before you pull iron ore out of the earth and you you know smelt that, now you're trying to you know you're like if you're some person who's just been newly spat out of cloning facility, <laughs> looking at the trying to figure out the difference between aluminum and iron you can really only tell like maybe like weight, like uh, bendability. Well, I mean, the, the iron's all going to be oxidized by this point, which mm. will still make it much easier to to smelt than um, actually digging the ore out of the ground. Um, a lot of the aluminum's actually probably going to still be in good shape because um, aluminum <laughs> doesn't oxidize as <laughs> easily um, and is extremely difficult to get out of the uh, out of ore. Um 
but uh, it'll be freely available. So that would be kind of cool to have an aluminum garbage-based civilization right from the start. Right. Like they're they're much better off just melting down a bunch of aluminum cans. Um, yeah, that's going to be a lot easier than uh, smelting fresh ore. Um, so that would be finally, cool, yeah. finally, we'll do some real recycling. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. so let's yeah. jump just so we have time because we're running towards the end of our time slot. Um, running towards the end of our eon here that we've uh, allotted when the um, you know this universe becomes unstable and we have to retreat to the original universe. Um, Ten thousand years into the future, Ori asks what happens, and then I, I throw into that. I don't I don't know if any of this still exists, but I'm wondering what what technology still is lying around in 10,000 years? Is there any, and how would the people uh, interpret that? All right. So 10,000 years, I don't think there's going to be many structures left. Mm. Um, Mm. uh, Even aluminum is probably going to be weathered into small bits, but still easier to recover than in the ground. Um, I'll bet there's still going to be plastic. Um, Wow. Mm. There's going to be... You know, Star Wars action figures um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> sitting around. How um, will they interpret that? They, you know, they'll do the usual. These are I, religious, exactly right. It's the same thing we do with everything we dig out of the ground. This must. This yeah. has a ritual purpose. Is what people right. always say. Right. Um, and then um, radioactive waste. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's still going to be pretty active. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that might be actually one of the, the main remnants of our civilization is these zones where if you walk into them, um, there's these strange dull piles of metal. And actually if they're scavengers, finding piles of metal in metal form is a pretty valuable thing. So it'd be worth trying to, to go in there and get, um, and then everybody dies after they try to, uh-huh. to get that particular metal. Well, they would, they would assume that the dolls... You know the R two D two and the Luke Skywalker and the well whoever else dolls and the uranium and, and the nuclear power plants are probably related in some ways. You know, um, some sort of religious yeah, could be phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be hard not to ritualize um, a, a place that just kills everyone who shows up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Gabby, what do they? Uh, what do they do? These ten thousand. These people of ten thousand years in the future, with their Star Wars dolls. Based yeah, economy. I mean, I think <laughs> for the most part, you're kind of really back to caveman times. Yeah, I doubt that there's much, and, and you know, I'm not saying cavemen like in disparaging ways, like Neolithic peoples had cultures, right? And cave um, women. Let's not leave out the cave women. Yeah, yeah, cave cave dudes and dudettes, dudettes <laughs> however you're going to phrase that. Um, but no, I mean, really, fundamentally, your your greatest, you know, right now in our position in society, every one of our resources builds on top of each other. We only mm, have, mm, mm, you mm. know, tents because we can make cloth, um, stuff like that. So they they have to go back to square one because there's nothing salvageable that's from you know a higher part of the pyramid, basically. Right. Um, so I suspect it's going to be one of those things where maybe occasionally they run into a pocket of old technology, much in the same way that we run into, you know, archeological dig sites and pockets of other things yeah, where, yeah. you know, maybe a hundred years from now, well, maybe 10,000 years from now, somebody discovers a shard of my mug um, 
you know, buried somewhere. Hey, I mean, it's a good mug. It's a Le Creuset yeah. mug. That oh, thing might be you. around in 10,000 years. <laughs> I've bonked this thing heavily and it's still intact. Um, and then, you know, it's, it, but at the same time, they're not necessarily going to be able to make any huge advancements based on what they find. And it may only be once they've advanced further and maybe kept all, hold of all of these ancient things that they found that maybe they finally start to piece together what they were when they, you know, now sort of get to that comparable point in technology when they're like, oh, this is what they were using this for. Mm -hmm. But they're probably not going to be able to, you know, approach that from an upward sense of like, hey, we're starting at Caveman. I see a Star Wars action figure. I know that this is a toy of a fan of a sci-fi series. They're probably going to have to go the other way. They're probably going to have to already be at the point where they have a concept of fiction or, you know, toys and or idols wow. and then work backwards on what that might have been. Yeah, that's a nice idea. That. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they I wonder how long it would take them to realize that this ancient civilization that we see remnants of everywhere was incredibly wasteful. You know, like that that's not something uh, we mm -hmm. see that much. And when we look at ancient cultures, we don't see that because they didn't uh, have that much. Well, yeah, but but garbage, ancient garbage is super important for mm, archaeology. Mm, mm -hmm. Like that's basically what you do as an archaeologist is you dig up garbage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, finding a, a functional artifact is very rare. Um, you spend most of your time digging up broken pottery shards um, and, you know, bits of animal bone and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's plenty of fun cases of like burnt pots thrown out that still had like food in them of like clearly somebody forgot this and they burned and I'm like oh crap now I gotta get rid of the whole thing like <laughs> so maybe they'd figure out that they're wasteful but maybe they might just come to the conclusion that there were many more of us than there actually are oh, oh that's what I said that's right yeah they yeah, would extrapolate from their experience and say a civilization that produced this much garbage must have been enormous yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that's interesting so the uh, the final scene then is uh, um has has Ori Ori's been playing this game? Has he won? What would be winning? You know, let's say you know how long after let's say the ten thousand year resurgence began? Uh, how long? Some millions of years in the future? Maybe this this new human race has uh, repopulated the planet. Um, I don't know. Do we need millions of years? Huh? Um, let's see here. Ten thousand years. I don't know. If we assume they're as smart as us, um, they have, uh, even if it's in the form of like rusted away skyscraper girders, as, mm -hmm. as Gabby mm -hmm. pointed out, that actually gives them a big leg up. Um, they have, um, they have pre genetically engineered bananas and, and similar foodstuffs that's going to help. Um, they're not going to have as much access to things like um, petroleum because we've used up the, mm. um, the the easily accessible deposits for that. Um, have we already wiped out any ecologically critical things? Ah, uh, the one that makes me worried is the megafauna. I mean, okay. we did domesticate a lot of stuff, sort of in place of that, but early humans did use a lot of on a lot of megafauna yeah. so that's what we were good at what is megafauna like big animals big animals think yeah. like animals. moose mammoth oh oh, oh. Um, oh woolly mammoth like, mm -hmm. yeah um yeah that's a good point that could we'd have to get an anthropologist on here to ask about that but you, one could imagine that 
um, that makes a big difference to early social evolution too. Um, you know, it's been speculated that the, the need for organized hunting parties that can take down um, a mastodon uh, was an important part of early um, human development. Mm, um, mm, mm. So it we is don't have to do that. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting you mentioned it doesn't need to be millions of years because I'm thinking of how you know those cave paintings in France, let's say, that's 30,000 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. from 30,000 years from painting on caves in France and basically hunting animals in parties uh, to our modern society, that's, that's not a lot. Not a lot of time. So um, a few revolutions, uh, a few... Around the galactic core, is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah, oh, no. Oh, I was thinking technological revolutions. But no. yeah, also <laughs> yes. a few revolutions around the galactic core would be... Absolutely. Um, Gabby, what does it look like when the, the society is finally repopulated? By the way, this seems like a really cool... I'm sure there's... I always say there are... I'm sure there are science fiction books along these lines. This is such a cool experiment, I find this idea. What does this look like, this civilization that has finally repopulated the Earth on the uh, on the backs of our ruins. Yeah, I can imagine it looks a lot like ours, but sort of maybe just to the left of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think one of the things that we've discovered from, you know, studying history from on, you know, excavating things is that humans have always been people for as long as mm. we've been people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's sort of no exception here that uh, us human beings starting over again, we'll still probably figure out how to do the same things. We're going to realize we need clothes. We're going to, you know, practice probably similar grooming behaviors because, you know, you have to take care of your hair where you get lice or all sorts of weird nonsense in it. So I think, you know, maybe they have different styles. They're definitely going to have a different language, definitely different, you know, religions. Maybe they worship the Star Wars toys that they saw. Um, I certainly did as a kid, so I don't see why. Yeah, you know, I think that a a section of us, too, may also be considered as doing that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, human societies will find a way to probably still be human societies again. And, you know, maybe they're, like I said, less reliant on some of the things that we are, like Matt mentioned, you know, petroleum, like, you know, gas. Um, But probably still generally operate just about the same. That's awesome. That's awesome. Matt, how would you feel uh, as as you... uh, suddenly uh, sat down at a dinner party with these uh, future future knots. Oh, well, you know, I'd be interested to, if we have no cultural continuity, um, I'd be interested in what language and literature and, frankly, science looks like. Um, mm-hmm. if, if we're not just building on what came before, if they're starting totally fresh, um, yeah. I'd be interested to hear, you know, what their music sounds like. Um, you know, we don't get... Mm-hmm. You know, we all, as as you said back at the start, we all came out of Africa at some point, um, and we've been diverging since then. Um, uh, but that was a long time ago, and we haven't had a whole lot of fresh starts per se. So mm-hmm. I would be interested to see what a totally new human culture looks like. Totally. Right on. Right on. Well, that's a great place to stop. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Um, we will continue the discussion in, in our uh, post-show, uh, what do we call it? Beyond the If, uh, which is only recorded for uh, future clones or our Patreon supporters, all of whom, by the way, have a ticket to the, uh, to the clone vault, you know, should there be a societal collapse. And I wanted to give a quick shout-out. I haven't, haven't given a shout-out to them in a while, so I wanted to give just to our top Patreons, Chuck and Doug and Connie and Dan and Bill and Yana and uh, Guy and Marsha and Frank and Ahmed 
Don and Ken, you guys have been with us for a long time, and we really appreciate it. All those folks uh, will be getting the extended uh, bonus uh, material as well as uh, fine kitchenware and clothing, uh, guaranteed to survive at least, I don't know, 100, 200 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, they they will find what the if stickers I think in the future, some they will find what the if mugs shards of what the if yeah. mugs in the future, um, and we thank all our Patreon supporters for all that. Become a Patreon supporter if you've been listening for a long time and you've not checked it out. Do so patreon.com slash what the if find out what all the fun is about. And um, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Um, not this week, but coming up soon, March 19th and 20th, I'll be doing events with the astronomy on tap folk, um, in preparation for the upcoming eclipse. Um, so as soon as the official announcements of those comes out, we can post them. Oh, great. Are those live events or is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, um, we, we all hang out in a bar and, um, talk in New York. And in New York, yeah, sorry. That would be for New Yorkers. I think one Manhattan, one Brooklyn. I'll have to double check on that. All right. All right. Brooklyn will fight Manhattan for Matt. Uh, Gabby, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, Yeah. uh, Don't have a date for when it's it's coming out yet. Uh, But one of my pieces is going to be appearing in the anthology The Map of Lost Places uh, by Apex. Uh, So very excited about that. It was actually partially inspired by something that we did on the show, if you remember the episode that was about reconnecting the person's spine Uh um, with essentially like technology so they they could walk again. Uh, It got me thinking a lot about, it it sort of collided with two ideas in my head uh, to produce this story called Code Walker, which is about, uh, it's digital archeology, span essentially of early neuro-responsive virtual environments in this sort of near future, Um, sort of the idea being that there was like an indie games fad, um, but for games that you could code that interacted with your brain. Uh, so it was kind of inspired <laughs> cool. by people who like go and find old Flash games and buy like old PS2 uh, graphics. Uh, uh, so this sort of plays around with that, uh, but it is a sci-fi horror about poking your nose in bad parts of the internet. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully funny. it's a fun. Hopefully it's a fun ride. Um, yeah. I'm I'm very excited. I finally get to share it with you guys. Nice. So this is a yeah. short story? Short story? Yes. Yeah, is. short story. And do you have a, you give me a link and I'll put it on the thing. Is it, or is it a simple website people can uh, uh Yes, yeah, so it's out? not up yet. This is just right. that, you know, it's going to be appearing. Coming. I can send you a link to uh, where, you know, Apex has some stuff about the anthology. But it's going to be some time, I think, before the books are actually produced. Uh, but this is just sort of a heads up. And I'll, I'll send you the link, Phil. But when it's actually ready, there will be definitely a link for that. Right. Yeah, very exciting. That's wow. awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. And uh, and a reminder to our listeners, by the way, you know, both our both my hosts here, uh, co-hosts uh, Matt and Gabby, both have books out, um, multiples of them for some of them. And uh, if you go to our website, whattheif.com, you can see um, information about all those books and places to find them. So do read up on what these guys have been producing. And um, uh, Matt, would you help us um, with our closing ceremonies? Why why are they so important? And what happens? Uh, well, it's the nature of cyclic history um, that things repeat themselves. And in order for new creation to occur, the, the current creation must come to an end. So the world <laughs> we've made here must be removed. Um, uh, but basically, uh, what that means is um, one morning we wake up and walk out our front door, 
and discover that uh, the clone chamber that's been underneath our apartment building for the last 10,000 years has finally opened up. Um, and Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, walks out uh, and screams, What the Philip Chain, documentary filmmaker, says, now I know what that assessment on my rent was for every month for 10,000 years. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Gabby. By the way, a reminder, get your eclipse glasses and make your plans. April 8th is the big eclipse in North America. If that's where you're at, check it out. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>